God, thanks for your goodness, your faithfulness to us. Thank you that there will be a day when we will see Jesus. The pain, the sickness, the death of this world will be no more. We look forward to that day with a sure and confident hope. Until that day comes, Lord, we got to be faithful to the task that you've called us to. God, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. You've given us your spirit. You've given us your word. So God, help us to be a people who take these things and boldly proclaim your truth in a culture that grows increasingly dark and increasingly hopeless. Lost, God, without the hope of Jesus in their lives. Help us to continue to shine the light of the gospel of your truth. And may today's text, God, serve to encourage us to that end. God, speak to us through your spirit in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, so you turn back to Acts chapter 6, and we're going to be in the same verses we were in last week, 8 through 15 of Acts chapter 6. And uh, I don't know if I said this last week, I know I've reflected on it with a few of you this week. I only got through half the message last week. I guess you know that because half your blanks were left unfilled, right? Um, and for some reason, the Spirit just had us camp on certain things last week, so that's a good thing. So I wanted to kind of go back and just revisit this before we get to Stephen's speech in Acts 7 and flush out a couple more truths here and a few more things of application that we didn't get the chance to be uh, to, to spend any time on last week. So I'm going to start reading here in verse 8. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Verse 9, then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up, disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So we ended last week talking about how this was Stephen's last day of life. This was it. This was the last day he lived. Kind of where we left that was, how cool is that? Right? To live. Up until the very end, being faithful. No regrets. No wasting time. It took advantage of every opportunity that God gave me to live faithfully for him. That's what Stephen models for us. The last day of his life. Learn learn from that. May that be true of us. A couple of other things we unpacked as we looked at this was um, that this was the third persecution cycle 
Here at the beginning of, of Acts, there's three persecution cycles, each one growing in its breadth and its intensity. And this third one was significant in the sense that persecution now is generated from the populace of Jerusalem and not just from the religious leaders. It also grew in its intensity in the sense that now it's not just directed at the apostles, but for the first time it's directed against uh, one, of the, one of the people, those are the members of the church. And yes, Stephen was a leader, but he wasn't an apostle, so that was a shift. And, and thirdly, um, it grows in its intensity in the sense that, you know, first it was Peter and John who were brought in, arrested, and they were sternly warned and released. And then the next time all of the apostles were brought in, and this time they were beaten, they were flogged and released. And now this third time, it's intensified in the sense that Stephen doesn't escape with just a warning or a beating. Uh, his commitment to Christ cost him his life. So the persecution is growing against the church and the people of God. So those are some of the highlights from last week. And where we left last week, kind of at the end, and this is where I want to start and, and just draw some application from this, is, um, is this truth right here from uh, verse 10. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. Sorry, I put the picture up there too early now. You're all like, what was that? Uh, verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. One of the things I want you to leave here today with is confidence. Confidence in what God has equipped you with and given you. Stephen spoke boldly, not in his own power, not with his own words. Stephen's witness was so powerful because he spoke the words of God and the power of the Spirit. And I want you to be confident this morning in what God has given you. I want you to leave here today more confident than ever in the truth that you possess sitting right there in your laps, that this is God's truth, and it is the most powerful truth, the only truth in this world. Right? So th th this picture here, this is uh, the high ropes course down at Camp Paradise in, in Brazil. And you see a couple pictures there. The one on the left is a picture of how you get off the ropes course. And you kind of get a sense from this picture how high the platforms are. They can't put them in the trees there because they're all flimsy palm trees. So they have to build these steel platforms. So, and you're looking out over the jungle. So you're, you're pretty high. Now it goes down a hill, but it's, it's um, significantly high. You look out to the right, you can see the ocean out there. And you attach yourself to that swing, that bar that's there, and you swing off of it. On the right, one of the responsibilities that we have when we go down there is we help facilitate, and particularly Jimmy and I over the years, have helped uh, facilitate uh, the high ropes course. Now you may sit there and ask, like, how do you facilitate safely on an apparatus where you don't speak the language of the kids on it? That would be a really great question to answer someday, but trust me, we, we do okay. Um, and, um, but one of the things we do as part of that is we test uh, the, the, the rope course and the platform before the campers go down there. We go through, we make sure the harnesses are secure, that the, 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 the guidelines are secure, all of that. And then we get to the end, to this swing. And uh, someone's got to go down at first. Jimmy always loses the vote. And uh, so we always send Jimmy down first, not because we don't value Jimmy, but uh, you know, we, we've tested it. So we're not completely sacrificing him to... But, um, but, yeah, we sent him down there in hopes that he doesn't land in the jungle. And, uh, and then I'll go down it, a little bit more mass, maybe. Um, and once we do that a few times, we, we know that this is secure, right? And so then what happens, right? These, these kids come, and they get up there, and, and a lot of them, they're, they're really nervous. But, but we can tell them, hey, it's all right. It's, it's strong. It's the steel cables. They're going to hold you. 
And they're looking like Pastor Craig went down. And they look at me, they're like, oh, okay. Well, he, <laughs> it held him, so I guess we're all right. You know? And, and as they, they scooch up, and then you see these kids, and they jump off. And they go down, and then they start laughing. Occasionally, they'll cry. But for the most part, right? And, and it's, it's this thrill and, and like, it, confidence that that's going to hold. Right? That's what that's all about. Trust that it's secure. When we read the account here of Stephen and how in power and wisdom he gave God's truth and the power of the Spirit, we can have that same confidence. I can confront the culture. I can stand on God's truth because I can trust this. I can jump off with this. Not my own words. Not my own wisdom. I don't want to jump off of that. I'll land in the jungle. (laughs) But this and God's Spirit, who today on the day of Pentecost we, we acknowledge and celebrate is coming to be with us and guide us, right? We can have confidence in God's word. Stephen used God's word, right? He used the, word, the words of Jesus. He used the words of the Old Testament. He didn't have this. He didn't have the books of the New Testament like we have, but he did use Jesus' words. And you look, uh, that he, he was very well-versed. He used Old Testament narrative. He used Old Testament terminology in Acts chapter 7. This is the wisdom that he spoke with. He used God's revealed truth. And he did it in combination with the Spirit working through him. So again, like we said last week, I want you to understand this morning. Students, as you grow up and you're bombarded with the messages of the culture, you go to college and you hear these things, listen, there is no inadequacy in God's word or God's truth. None. It is superior. The Christian worldview is superior to any other worldview that is out there. They cannot compete with God's truth. Stephen experienced this firsthand in Acts chapter 6. He fought back with God's truth. Remember, we talked about this last week. He didn't do signs and wonders to convince them. He didn't turn the Jordan River into blood. He gave them God's truth. This is what they had no answer for. You have this available to you. God's truth and God's spirit. This came to light for me just in a whole new way, just a couple weeks ago. Some of you heard the story of this, this young man, Jordan, who he found, uh, drove in one Thursday morning a couple weeks ago and found this guy sleeping on one of our benches out here under our pergola. And as we began to unpack his story, just found out just completely broken, um, an addict. And, um, and, and he had been... Um, abusing when he, he wandered onto our property and, and crashed on this, uh, on this pergola out here. And, and, and we brought him in, and, and, and Jake comes in. And, and I tell you, you're sitting there going, what do, you, what do you say to this guy? What do you say? And he's telling you his story, and you're like, I and He started saying things like, man, I, I want so bad to change. I want to change. I want to be different, but I just can't. And, and, and Jake and I said, you know what God does through his spirit? All of a sudden, God's like, share Romans 7 with him. So we open the Bible, not my words, not Jake's. We open the Bible, and we read Romans 7. We say, Jordan, this is the Apostle Paul who wrote a good portion of this Bible, this New Testament. And we share about the struggle of a man, the things I want to do, I don't do, the things I don't want to do, I, I do, oh, wretched man that I am. We're like, does that sound like you, Jordan? He's like, it, what was Paul saying? Christ. We start reading Scripture. I, like, cause I know for me and I know for Jake, we're sitting there like, this is all we got. <laughs> This is given scripture. And we read a passage, and I don't even remember which one it was. Maybe you remember, Jake. We, we read a passage, and there was a couple of them. Then we got to a point where, um, 
because Jake and I are getting old, and we're sitting down there in the lobby, and like I, I'm like, who writes this? I mean, like, you know, and um, so and and, and Jordan says, I'll, I'll read it. Okay, <laughs> and we hand him a Bible, and he reads this passage of scripture. So here, this is what God does. This is the confidence we can have in God's wisdom, and God's word, and His power, and His Spirit. We go through this stuff with him. You see him thinking. You see his heart soften a little bit, and he moved from not wanting to come in to come in. And then, in the afternoon, we go to Calvary Church and meet this lady who has a lot of background with, with guys who struggle with the things that he's struggling with. And we sit down, and Jig and I both, we were floored. When she looks at him, she goes, I want to share a Bible passage with you. And she opens it up and shares the exact same passage from Romans that we had earlier. I, I, like, we like, look at each other. Remember, we're like, <laughs> the spirit. That's the spirit. That's not Craig. That's not Jake. That's the spirit. This is what God does. The combination, the powerful combination of the spirit of God and his word. And this is a complete fulfillment. We've already looked at this in past weeks, but I keep, keep going back to it. This is a complete fulfillment. Oh, by the way, there's your blank. Superior, okay? Um, here's, um, here's God's promises. Jesus' words, Luke 21. Before all, um, but before all of this, they will lay their hands on you. He's talking to his disciples. And persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. I love that. You hear what Jesus is saying there? He's like, as the culture gets darker and they drag you before them and persecute you, right? Our response to some of that today is like, oh no. Oh no. The darkness is so great, and, 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 and they're persecuting Christians. And, and what if they start doing this? And what if they take away our tax privileges? And, then, and this, this, and this. And we, we fret. And Jesus is saying, no. That'll be your opportunity in the darkness of the culture to shine even brighter because you have my spirit. And you have my powerful word. You don't have to be afraid of this. Be confident, right? Luke 12, same thing. When they bring you, his disciples, his followers, before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you should say. Paul, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Again, this is just the Word of God. This is God's truth. Stephen, utilizing the same resource you have. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We destroy arguments. It's confidence. Don't shirk back in fear. Oh no, what if they have a question I can't answer? That's okay. By the way, it's okay to say, I don't know. Let me find out. Let me go back to God's word and find out. Actually, I think that communicates something even more powerful. I'm not trying to answer you out of my own wisdom. I want to go source this in God's word. Confidence. Confidence in this. This is second to nothing. Right? Of course, I'm following the, uh, the NBA playoffs right now, as you might imagine, and um, excited about team from Boston, as I usually am. Uh, but in the course of that, they've been talking about past playoffs and, and, and teams that have come back from deficits. And uh, um, I don't remember what year it was, but the Phoenix Suns, uh, one year, this is back when they had a five-game playoff, or series at the beginning of each playoff round, um, the beginning of the playoffs to the NBA. They had five-game round. And um, the Phoenix Suns were playing the uh, L.A. Lakers. 
and they got down uh, two games to none, so it's a best of five, so you lose that third game, you're out. And Phoenix got down, um, they were down two to nothing against the Lakers, and um, they were despairing. I heard uh, Charles Barkley this week telling the story, talking about sitting in the locker room, just, he said, we were done, we were, we were defeated, we were depressed, we were down, we just, we knew the series was over. And he was told then what had just happened in the press conference with his head coach, Paul Westfall. Let me read this to you. Westfall said this, so we're down 0-2. I know the next question is, are you guys dead? No. We're going to win the series. We're going to win one Tuesday, and the next game's Thursday. And we're going to win that one. And then we're going to come back, and we will win the series on Sunday. And everyone will say what a great series it was. And someone in, the, in the, one of the press there in the audience said, well, come on, man, where are you getting that confidence from? And I wish I could show it, but it's, it's protected, so I can't show it. But there was this air of indignation in his voice when he responded. And he said this, because we're a better team than the Lakers, and we will win. And that was the end of the questions. And someone came in and told Charles Barkley what Westfall just said. And Barkley said, okay, we're going to go out and win. And they did. I love that. We're better than the Lakers, and we will win. See, we as Christians can say that. I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how strong the cultural forces seem to be or the worldly wisdom. We say, what we have here is better, and it wins. It wins. God's truth is better. God's truth changes lives. God's truth started penetrating the heart of a young man sitting down here, a drug addict, who, who started listening to God's truth. And I don't know where that's going to go, but I, see God, I saw God working in his heart that day. Right? God's word. You can have confidence in his truth, right? You know these passages. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Powerful. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 2. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. That's a good thing. This is Paul. He's like, I didn't have lofty speech. I didn't have lofty wisdom. That's a good thing. I don't have lofty speech. I'm not that smart, right? <laughs> you don't have to agree with that. Uh, I love this. For I decided... To know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. This is Paul. I love it that that's there. Because that's how we feel sometimes. Right? We feel that. Paul said, hey, I get it. Weakness, fear, much trembling. My speech and my message, again, were not implausible words of wisdom. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You don't have to be John Piper, or Tim Keller, or John MacArthur. I just have to be a broken vessel that God's spirit and truth flows through. And that's accessible to all of us. We have this treasure, Paul says in Corinthians. We have this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of God's truth. We have this treasure in jars of clay. So how surpassingly wonderful and glorious God is. 
I'm confident in what I have. I'm not confident in myself. I'm confident in what I have. In God, in Christ, in his word, in his spirit. So what does this look like practically? Listen, just learn the story. Right? Tell your own story. Learn to tell your own story. What God did in your life. This is what we did. I remember we had Marco over to our house for lunch, our Brazilian friend who doesn't know Jesus. And, and he came and he sat there. And I remember sitting there just going, like, what do I say to this guy next? Because we're going back and forth and he's talking. And, and the Spirit just was like, just tell your story, Craig. So I just told my testimony. And then in telling my testimony, I'm, I'm able to kind of, not kind of, I'm able to put truth in it. This is why I had to make that decision. This is why I needed Jesus. And, and I just told my story instead. I, my father-in-law sitting down here. He, years ago, um, they were doing a, some testing at the hospital, and they had some equipment there, and they opened it up for doctors to come in and, and, uh, and, and get this test. And dad goes in and gets a test and finds out he's got a pretty serious heart condition he didn't know about. God spared his life. What do you do with that? Turns around and writes a tract. They hand out to people. He's shared that people with hundreds of people. It's gone all over the world. Shared that God is just telling your story. You, you can do that. It's just powerful. Just tell what God has done in your life. Why did you need a Savior? Just talk about that. Just, just learn the meta narrative of Scripture. Any of you can do this, right? Just share that. This is what we did with Jordan downstairs. We got there, like, you know, sometimes they don't have a lot of time, right? So we have to go to the Romans Road or John 3.16 or whatever. But, but I always love it best when there's at least enough time to say, hey, can I just tell you, and I'll hold up this book. Can I give you the story of this book in, like, three minutes? You know, God created in the beginning, and it was good. And, and, but, but then uh, we rebelled, and, and, and sin entered the world, and, and, and death came, and, and then brokenness, and everything we experienced. And, but God made a promise, and, 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 and for years, there's the blood of goats and lambs that, that were an attempt to cover sin. But at the end of the day, something greater was needed, and finally, needed. And finally uh, a man named Jesus shows up, fulfilling the promise of Genesis 3. And Jesus comes, and he dies on the cross, and, and rescues us from our sin and provides a way of forgiveness and escape and for his righteousness to be given to us. And, and one day Jesus is going to come back and there's the end of the story, right? And just, you, you know this. Just, just share the story with people. It's powerful. Plan out a gospel strategy. Again, whether that's your own story, what are some verses that I would want to make sure I get in? And if I had three to five minutes, what are some key things? Be intentional about it. Listen, to be able to do that too, you have to be immersed in this book. You have to be immersed in it. You just read it. And, and that's what I love about God's word. Just, just reading it, just spending time reading it each day. I think sometimes, I don't think sometimes, this is how it works. In just reading it, God is preparing for you for things that you don't even know he's preparing you for. But you're putting his wisdom in your heart and in your mind. It's right here, brothers and sisters. It's, 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 it's accessible to you. Listen to it. Sign up for a reading plan. Listen to it. Uh, if you're like, how, how can I go deeper? Get yourself a good study Bible. All right? ESV study Bible, the NIV theological study Bible. There's such good ones. You, start, you know, just start reading some of the notes, learning more about Scripture. Uh, you want to move on for that, grab a, a theology book. Wayne Grudem, grab a Bible survey book. Somebody's like, I don't like reading. That's okay. There's 100 podcasts out there. Listen to sermons by good, solid teachers who, you know, while you're cutting the grass, right? Put it in. Listen to it, right? Um, equip yourself, immerse yourself in God's word. You'll have the same tools that Stephen had at his disposal. You can be confident in this. I remember talking to Mike Leong last week, a couple weeks ago. He's witnessing to a guy at school. And he called me and said, I'm really nervous about sharing my faith and messing up. 
And we talked about how, Mike, it's not, you don't have to worry about that. And we talked about just, just share God's truth. Let God do the rest. And Mike, as you, if you know Mike, he sent me uh, an R.C. Sproul quote just a little bit later. He, and he, this was the quote. God has entrusted the ministry of the word to us, not its results. I'm just going to learn God's word, and I'm going to share God's word. And what God does with that is what God does. Right? You have the weapon. You have the truth available to you. Immerse yourself in it so that you can share it. But, right, even when we powerfully and effectively share it, it's not like pixie dust, you know. Throw some Bible verses at you and, oh, oh you know, everything changes and, the, you know. No, they killed Stephen. I'm convinced. They knew he was right, by the way. They knew he was right. Their response, the fact that they had to stir up false witnesses. They knew he was right. It doesn't always have the effect, but listen, it's powerful. And they'll know. They know. The opposition here will still seek other avenues to stop, discredit, misrepresent Jesus, his truth, and his followers. Super long point there, isn't it? There's no guarantee people are going to respond. And we see that unfold here, right? The freedmen, they go, they're frustrated. They can't answer Stephen. They can't withstand his wisdom, the wisdom of God flowing through him. So they stir up the people. They introduce false witnesses. They can't deal with the truth, so they seek to evade it. They seek to discredit it. I remember it's one of the great frustrations I had over the years uh, when I witnessed to my grandpa. And um, I'm convinced, Grandpa knew, he knew. He knew the truth. He knew what was right. But every time he tried, he would just evade, right, and, and bring it over here and, and, and this and, and talk about this instead. And, and, and it's just so frustrating. This is what people do, right? Romans 1 tells us people suppress the truth. I, we watched uh, End of the Spear in the youth group this past Wednesday night, and I strike even there, um, this, this tribe down in Ecuador, even there, um, when they go and, and, and start sharing the gospel. And that was telling to me, too, that one of the first things that, uh, I think her name was Dayuma. Um, she was uh, from that tribe, and she had went and had befriended the missionaries. And so she came back into the jungle with them after the husbands were all killed. And one of the first things she said to Minkai was, uh, Wegongi, I think was what they called God. Wegongi had a son. And I was just struck when she said that. I'm like, right away she starts with Jesus. And instantly, and she said, and his son came, in essence, to take the spear for us and, and unpack that. And right away, this man, Timo, he responded to that. I'm like, man, the, the name of Jesus is so powerful that even in the jungle in another language, it has this impact. But I was struck, Minkaye, the man who killed Nate Saint, it was interesting watching his journey because even upon hearing the truth, even seeing the radical change in Timo's life, he still evaded and discredited. And the way he did it, in his mind, was they're spirits. Those people are spirits. They're not real. Those aren't real people. And if he could do that in his mind, anyone would have to listen to him. Eventually, the Spirit of God won out. But, but this is what we do. This is what people do, right? They evade. We see that here. They didn't listen to Stephen. Instead, they went and they worked up the crowd. They incited a, a, almost a, a, a riot. They got him excited emotionally. And we talked about this last week. This is significant. For the first time in Acts, the people on the streets in Jerusalem are turning against the church. Up to this point, they had found favor, right? But now they're turning. 
This is what's happening today. We talked about this last week too, right? The general tenor of the culture towards the church and towards Christianity is changing. To where more and more, even in the general public, people view Christianity in a negative way. Some of that is our fault sometimes. The way we've conducted ourselves, for sure, right? I was reading an article this week. Um, I was talking about this whole thing with Target, moving their, moving their pride things to the back of the store. And it was amazing. Right, right away, the, the article opens with, the reason why this is happening is because of these bigoted, homophobic Christians. I mean, it didn't even pull any punches. This is our fault, right? Just negative towards the church already, right? Instead of bracing God's truth, this is what, this is what it's moved to, right? They accuse him of speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God in verse 11. They expand on this a little bit in verses 13 and 14. Uh, when they say he speaks against this holy place, that's what they mean when he's speaking against God. The temple and God were so closely associated that when they perceived Stephen speaking against the temple, he was speaking against God himself. Obviously speaking against Moses when they, they, they perceive him speaking against the law. And so they charge him now with blasphemy. This is the first time this has come up in charges against the people of God. Um, when, you, when you see uh, Acts 7, we'll look at next week, uh, Stephen did, in a sense, he did speak against the temple. But not in the way they were accusing him of. There's, there's a falseness that comes in. We'll see in a moment. But he spoke against the temple in the same way Jesus did. He used the same terminology Jesus did. John 2, right? You know this. Familiar passage. The Jews said to him, what signs do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Another place, the conversation with the woman at the well. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Well, we'll see next week when you go to uh, Acts chapter 7 and uh, verse 48 when he says that God doesn't dwell anywhere, you know, in buildings made by human hands. So you can see where they're like, wait a minute, you're speaking against the temple. You take that and combine it with anything Stephen would have said about the atonement and Christ being sufficient for the atonement. Now you're like, wait a minute, because now he's undermining the whole sacrificial system. So you can understand, in a sense, why they're reacting uh, we've talked about this, right? We know that these, these people, uh, they're diaspora Jews. They came back to Jerusalem, uh, which indicates that they had this high level of commitment to the temple. They're pretty passionate about their faith uh, in, in Judaism, in the temple. So, um, so this is where the accusations of blasphemy are, are, are coming from. Here, here's the takeaway from this. In his boldness, even though the witnesses were false and they, and they, they distorted what he had said, and we'll, we'll mention, see this in just a second, there's still the reality of this, that Stephen spoke out against their most cherished dogmas. And that's what we're called to do in our world. God's truth runs counter to the current cultural dogmas. And if I can borrow Carl Truman's book title, namely... The triumph of the modern self. And there's going to be fireworks when these things combine. Right? But we too must speak out in complete boldness against the current cultural dogmas. People are not gods. You don't have the right to make... That's, that's why they react so strongly to us. When we say what you're doing is wrong, what you're saying is wrong, you're attacking God when you make those statements. Because I have the right to define who I am. I'm my own person. I'm my own God. 
Those are the dogmas, though, that we're going to have to boldly speak against. He spoke against the big ones in his day, right? They held the temple. They worshiped the temple. They worshiped the law, the things that were meant to point them to God. And Paul clues us in, and this is Romans, right? It's what Paul says. People start worshiping the creation rather than the creator. This is what Stephen goes after. We have to do the same unapologetically, in love and in understanding, but we have to speak out boldly against the current cultural dogmas. We need to be willing to speak to the heart of the matter. Luke makes it clear that the witnesses were false, as were the accusations in verse 13. I mean, they clearly, you can start to see where they misrepresent Jesus here. Um, they say uh, he, he never stops talking, speaking against the temple and, uh, and how Jesus, Jesus said, I will destroy this temple. No, he didn't. Back to the John Pat. Jesus didn't say he was going to destroy that temple. He wasn't even talking about that temple. But they're misrepresenting Jesus. Jesus was talking about his own body there. Uh, he said he's going to destroy the law. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. The greatest expression of the law and the fullness of the law, right? So you see the misrepresentation. I think the greatest way that Luke is talking about here, though, that they were false witnesses is that they were speaking out against God's anointed. They were speaking out against God's spokesperson. And in that sense, they were false witnesses. They're seeking instead to discredit. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, because this is what we face, right? Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Why do they do this? Why does our world do this? Why did they do this in Acts 6? Here it is. Because people will hang on to what they love rather than embrace Jesus. Right? The law is a major theme throughout the book of Acts, how the law is handled. Emphasized mainly in Acts 10 and 11 and Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, the Jew-Gentile worlds colliding, what do we do with the law? Acts 10 and 11, that whole narrative where Peter has the vision, rise, Peter, eat what you see on that sheet. Peter's like, those are unclean animals, I'm not eating those. And God says, don't call what I say clean, unclean. The, the point of that whole thing was, Peter, you need to go and witness to a man named Cornelius, a Gentile, he's not unclean. It's changing. But the people here were unwilling to release. They were unwilling to listen to truth and do what God had called them to do. I think the question's worth asking here. What are you hanging on to? What are you refusing to let go of? Not only do we face that in the culture, we face it in our own lives as well, right? We're good at evading God's truth and listening to the culture instead, hanging on to what we want to hang on to. But this is where we face, church, right? I'm going to ask Spencer to come on up. We're going to sing one song here as we close. But here's, here's, here's what I want to close with right here. In the midst of this opposition and the challenges that we face, followers of Christ can confidently embrace who they are, keep calm, and speak the truth. So with this whole verse at the end, they looked and he had the face of an angel. That's kind of weird, right? If we have the picture in our minds of like these sweet little Hallmark angels with chubby faces and rosy cheeks, like right, Stephen looked like that. I'm like, no. Think about what was an angel? Throughout the scripture, the angel, angels were messengers. When people saw angels, generally the, 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 the phrase fear not accompanied their appearance. Confidence, boldness, reflecting the glory of God. I think that's what they saw. They looked at Stephen and they saw a man who was not backing down. 
They saw a man who was standing for truth. They saw a man who reflected the glory of God. They saw determination. They saw a man who wasn't going to compromise. Maggie wanted to play in jazz band. She started asking when she was eligible in seventh grade, can I play in jazz band? Can I play in jazz band? Can I play in I'm like, no, it's at seven in the morning. You're not playing in jazz band. You know? God has not called you to that. I am confident. <laughs> December, her eighth grade year, she's still saying, can I play in jazz band? Can I play in jazz Kathy and I looked at each other and we're like, I think we should probably let her play in jazz band. She wore us down. I think it was a good thing. Don't get worn down. You have the power, the word of God, the cultural messages that are going to keep coming at you. Stand for truth. Power of the word of God, the power of spirit. You know, if I'm honest, that day when I saw Jordan laying out here, I didn't want to stop. I had a ton of stuff I had to do that day. I came in here, I'm like, all right, fine, I'll bring him a coffee, send him on his way. Brought him a coffee. Then I found myself saying, i got to take my daughter to work. I'll be back in 15 minutes. I called Jake. Jake's like, I'm getting ready to do something else, but I'll come in. We come in. Listen, I'm not a great person for doing that. It was just the spirit of God impressing us to do something, to show the love of Jesus to this man. I wish we had time to unpack this. Here's what, here's what Stephen did throughout his life. All he did was look like Jesus. You think of the comparison points. They were both falsely accused. They were both brought to trial. They, were, they, they both asked for forgiveness for the people who were killing them. They bo- Listen, so we do. We look like Jesus. Utilizing the power of the word of God the power of the Spirit. We stand against the culture. It may cost us like it did Stephen, but the world will know the truth. Amen?